this is me, I am me, uh, um, I am the Reverend Matthew Ryan Gonzalez, that's that official title they give me, but uh, my young people and old people and people alike at my church call me Pastor G, um, so I'm thankful for that because the other name is really long. Um, I am at Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Bronx, we're going to talk more about that in a second, but first let me tell you a little bit about me specifically. Oh, there we go. Uh, that's me and my wonderful wife, Katie. Um, she is everything to me. She is everything that I love about me. Um, she, uh, yeah, she's really great, and I really treasure her. And um, I could just stand up here and give you an hour about her, but that's not the real talk you came for, so we're not going to do that. Um, but she's really wonderful, and I'm very thankful for her. These are our two children, uh, Phoebe and Aaron. Aaron's still learning to smile, but he does have teeth on top, okay? Um, Aaron is going to be two in uh, August. Phoebe is four, going on 25. And um, uh, sh they're both really great. I really love them. And, and um, they're being raised well as fans of the New York Yankees, as you can see. Um, but uh, uh, a little bit about me. I am a sports fanatic. I love the Yankees, the Knicks, the Giants, and the Rangers. And for those of you who say, he's a front runner. If you look at any team there but the Yankees, you know that ain't true. Uh, but, uh, but I do love my sports, love to watch them, love to play them, uh, love to have played them. You know, I'm 34. I don't play as much as I used to. But I do enjoy them for sure. Um, and that's where I'm a pastor, Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in the Bronx. That is a picture of our sanctuary on Easter Sunday morning with a beautiful Instagram filter. That's right. Um, and uh, we really love it there. Um, and uh, we are a uh, multi-ethnic congregation in the Bronx, uh, thankfully reflective of our community, and that's what we look like. And if you can't see um, from far away, then you should have moved up. No, uh, um, uh, no, we'll, uh, we'll try to make that visible for you all. But we are there uh, in the Bronx, and we are thankful for all that God continues to do for us there. So that's enough about me, because um, that's not what this session is about. This session is about uh, this conversation about reconciliation, right? And, and giving you real talk. And so that's what we're going to do. I am one who, uh, being in the Bronx, um, and this is just my excuse for being blunt, uh, but being in the Bronx, I'm a straight shooter because that's what New Yorkers are. And uh, so I'm going to try to be as honest and direct as I can in this conversation. That's why I call it real talk. And we need to be really talking about reconciliation. Um, and I mean that in every possible way, that term reconciliation. So we're going to have a conversation about that. So when I use that terminology, I say, what is reconciliation and why does it matter? Well, to be reconciled uh, essentially is another kind of very fancy way of saying to be sharing in the forgiveness that we receive in Christ Jesus. Okay? To be reconciled is to say that there is no longer some sort of barrier between you and something else, but instead whatever kind of barrier, whatever kind of sin, whatever it is that was between you and let's say your neighbor, or we're going to talk about there a lot of the ways that we uh, understand reconciliation. To be reconciled is to say that essentially you are no longer having that barrier, that it has been covered over or fixed or the bridge has been put over it so you can walk over it or whatever it is, you're, it's no longer there. It is, uh, I like to use the word healed, okay, or forgiven. And when we think about reconciliation and why it matters, to me that second question is really important because we have to talk about uh, scripture. 
if there's one thing that we learn as Christians, it's that scripture is uh, the lifeblood of our existence, right? The word is how we know what we do, how we know who we are, how we know, more importantly, whose we are. And, and I say the word in every imaginable facet. And so what I mean by that is not only scripture as we read it, but I mean the word made flesh, right? Jesus, the lifeblood, if you will, that we receive on Sundays and the like. Anyway, I'm getting too churchy. Hold on, let me come back. So what I'm telling you is that, that was a joke. I love church. Um, so uh, what I'm telling you is that scripture is how we understand all that we do and who we are called to be. And that's especially important when we talk about reconciliation because God's word speaks to us about this. See, it says here in the gospel according to St. Matthew, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked a question to test him. Him is Jesus, in case you didn't already know. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And this is really important, and here's why. That last line, that upon these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets, basically means if you can't believe that these things are true for your life, everything else in Scripture, whoosh, you can get rid of it. Because these two are what allows you to know who God is and who he is for you, at least from the perspective of your faith. Of course, we could say, well, the only thing that allows us is the Holy Spirit working in us. Right, I agree, 100%. The Holy Spirit is working in you for you to know anything about God or who God is or anything like that. But, or I should say, and, because but is contrary and this next statement is not contrary, knowing that the Holy Spirit is the one who is working in you and through you and bringing this faith to be what it is for you, this is how it looks. That you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all, I got that wrong, heart and soul and mind, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so for me, you might be wondering, what does that have to do with reconciliation? Let me tell you. Because when I think of reconciliation, I think, okay, if I want to be healed and live in forgiveness and I want to have no barriers, and these commandments are supposed to be true, then how do they fit into my life? Well, let's break it down. What if I'm struggling to love God, if the commandments that God gives about what it is to be faithful is that first and foremost, I should love God with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind, what if I'm struggling to love him? How many of you have ever struggled to love God before? Some of you are more faithful than me. That's great. Uh, you can come on up here after and take the second half of the presentation. No, uh, um, Nope, uh, I think I can say for me personally, I know I've struggled to love God before. Now, I think sometimes people hear that and they, they think, well, that means you, there was a time where you didn't believe? What? No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Uh, I was born to a Roman Catholic mom and a Pentecostal dad, and Lutheranism helped figure it out. And, uh, and I was baptized as a baby, and I've been a Christian my whole life, and so it's all good, right? doesn't mean I haven't struggled to love God. I've struggled to love God many, many times in my own life. 
Let me tell you about a time specifically that happened recently. Um, in December of 2017, I was on vacation after Christmas, because that's what pastors do. They do Christmas, and then they're like, we out. Um, and so I went on vacation, and I was visiting my wife's family. We were in St. Louis, Missouri, and I, it was December 29th in the morning. And I got a, phone, a voicemail from one of my young people, super faithful, acolytes every week, actually has gone from acolyting to serving at the altar as a, a, a worship assistant, um, is a 22-year-old young man who is a trustee at our congregation. He's actually a Yav, so I'm going to tell you his name at the end, and you can find him. I have his permission to share this story, don't worry. Um, and uh, he's a great, great young person. And the one thing I know about him in my interaction with him is he is not a complainer. He's just not. If you ask him how he's doing, he always says, no complaints. That's his thing. It's actually so much of a thing. We made a T-shirt for him that he might be wearing here. It's orange for Yav, and on that back it says hashtag no complaints. I mean, he says it that often, okay? And he's a great guy, and he doesn't complain. Got a voicemail from him, and I listened to the voicemail, and all it says is, Pastor, please call me quickly. And I could hear the tremble. You ever have those voicemails where you know it's bad, right? Where you pick up the phone, and it's like, Pastor, please call me, right? And you're like, uh-oh. Especially when it's coming from someone where, like, they're not going to be calling you and be like, Pastor, my cereal got too wet. Like, that's not what it's going to be, right? Like, if they're crying and they're calling you, you know. If it, and, of course, they're not going to be calling you Pastor. That's what he calls me. But they're going to be like, friend, uh, if that's happening, right, if there's that tremble. You ever have those friends who you know something's up? It's serious, right? Well, that's what this young person is for me. And so I call him. And he says, Pastor, um, I have something really, something really bad happened. I said, okay, tell me, tell me what's up. Now, of course, we're, you know, a thousand miles from each other at the time. And he says, last night, my nephew, Sincere, is his nephew's uh, name. He says he went to his Sweet 16 with, uh, you know, some of his friends. I said, okay. And he says, um, now, let me tell you a little bit about Sincere. Yes, this story has layers. Sincere the year before, was baptized in our congregation at 15 years old along with his younger brother. Uh, he had not yet been baptized because his mom just didn't want him to. She wanted him to kind of make a faith decision for himself. That's right, I rolled my eyes. That's ridiculous shenanigans because you teach your kid manners. Why wouldn't you teach them the faith? Anyway, sorry, sorry. Um, and so uh, he did, thankfully. He made a, a, a choice. Just kidding. The Holy Spirit went to work, and um, and God worked, and as God worked, Sincere was baptized among us, catechized in the faith, um, along with his younger brother. And so I knew Sincere from that, and he was he was one of those who's very quiet. He was a, a helper. If I said Sincere, can you go grab that for me? He would do it, uh, but he was also quiet in the sense that he just. He was trying to feeling his way into the life of church. You know what I mean? When you're 15 and you're baptized, like, you can say, I believe, but then, like, getting into what it means to worship, sometimes that's tough, right? In some ways, he was still struggling to love God, even though he knew he loved God. And so Sincere wasn't always around every Sunday or anything like that, but when I saw him and I knew him, he was always kind and always loving and always helpful and always caring. And so he... Back to the story on the phone with Leo. Leo says, oh, man, I already told you his name. Shucks. Anyway, so 
I was going to tell you anyway. It doesn't matter. So Leo says, Pastor, uh, so Sincere went to a Sweet 16 last night. I said, okay. And he says, and uh, um, he came outside of it afterward because a bunch of people tried to run into it. So at the Sweet 16, there were some people that uh, uh, weren't invited, and those people weren't invited because they have gang affiliation and the like. And they weren't invited, and they uh, got upset, and instead of handling it properly, they decided they were going to handle it with violence. They didn't hear this talk about reconciliation. Um, That was a joke. It's okay to laugh even in the midst of tragedy. It's okay. Um, And so... They said that they weren't going to handle it that way, and so they came uh, and decided to try to handle it differently, and they tried to jump this party out in a venue, and they got kicked out, and everybody kind of got kicked out, and Sincere went outside and saw somebody at the party get shot at, and actually shot in the arm, and Sincere comes from a line of helpers. Sincere's grandfather is a police officer in the New York City Police Department. Sincere's grandmother is a retired corrections officer, um, people who served the city faithfully and served the city in times when it's been rough and thankfully has gotten better. And Sincere is a helper. So he saw somebody get shot, and while everybody else went running, Sincere went to go make sure that the person was all right and to call 911 and to try to help. And the person in the gang decided, well, I don't want this guy knowing that I'm the one who shot him. And so he walked up to Sincere and point blank in the neck shot and killed him. And that was really tough. And that's what Leo said to me on the phone. And when he said that, I just started crying because I didn't even know what to say. I said, Leo, what? And he said, yeah, Pastor. And his voice got shaky, and then mine got shakier because I was sobbing. You know, when you're a pastor, you don't assume that those who you baptize, you're going to do their funeral. You just don't always assume that. And when the reality happens that it's only a year apart and it's because of a tragedy, you're just not ready. But you have to be there for the family, and you have to do that kind of thing. But even as you're doing it, in those moments, You can struggle to love God. Because I did at that moment, because my question was, God, why? What is this? Why did this happen? You know, last night at the sessions, we talked about asking that question, why? Why, God, I don't understand. I don't get what you're doing here. This young man came to faith. This young man, by your grace and by your work and by your spirit, was was learning about what it is to be a faithful person. And, And he was there to help somebody that had gotten shot by some person that obviously did not have faith. And you might say, how do you know they don't have faith? Because when you do that kind of thing, as far as I'm concerned, you mustn't have faith. And yet, in the midst of that, it happened. And we had to proclaim the gospel at the funeral. And we had to promise that because of those baptismal promises that had been washed over sincere, he was with the Lord. We We had to proclaim and live in that gospel. But it doesn't mean that in those moments, in those quiet moments, in those moments of my alone time with God, I wasn't struggling. It doesn't mean I still don't. When sincere's mom, Leo's sister, calls me, and she's wrestling, and she's struggling, and she's crying, I still struggle. I still wrestle. I still say, God, I don't get it. And you might say, well, pastor, that doesn't mean you don't love God. Well, when you're wrestling with God, sometimes you're not revealing the love that you seem to say you want to have for him, right? 
I didn't say I hate God. I said, what if you're struggling to love him? What if you just don't get what he's doing or it doesn't make sense or you don't like it or you're hurt by it? What do we do then? And more importantly, what then does it mean to be reconciled to him? How do you go from that place of struggle and depth and hurt and pain to a place of reconciliation with the one who provides the reconciliation? Well, in the word of God, it says, from 2 Corinthians, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean to be reconciled to God? Well, the answer is actually quite easy. It's the Sunday school answer. What's the Sunday school answer? That was not convincing. That was like, <laughs> I'm not convinced. Let's try again. What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus. Right? Jesus is the one who brings reconciliation. Jesus is the one who brings reconciliation to that moment of death that stood before me and Sincere's mom and Sincere's younger brother, who was only seven years old, at the casket. Jesus is the one who, when the mom and I were hurting and still in disbelief, spoke by the power of the Spirit through the younger brother, and the younger brother said, Mom, it's okay. Sincere's not even here. He's with Jesus. Seven years old. It's because he goes to BBS. No, well, uh, okay. What I'm telling you is that God brought reconciliation in that moment to Sincere's mom and to me and continues to bring it because every time we're hurting, every time we're sad, every time we don't understand, every time we feel broken, what God promises is that Jesus is the one who came and who comes and who is to reconcile. He's the one who dwells with you in your hurt. He is the one who's willing to suffer with you in your pain. He is the one that went to the cross so that when you're hurting and you say, I don't know if God understands my hurt, you can look to the cross and know he felt pain too, just like you do in his human flesh. Jesus knows suffering. And yet, he promises reconciliation. And so when we talk about being reconciled to God, if you're struggling to love God, the beauty of what Jesus brings is he says, you're struggling to love me? Don't worry. I love you. He, in his work and in his goodness and in his grace and in his death and in his resurrection, takes us even in our struggle to love him and says, don't worry. I love you. 
And by revealing that love and by bringing that love and by sharing that love and by proclaiming that love, he then calls us from the depths of our struggle and raises us up to the promise of new life, to the, as scripture puts it, being a new creation. He lets the old pass away and says, behold, the new has come. That's what Jesus does so that we are reconciled to God. Not how can we be, but we already are. He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, that we would already know that the reconciliation has happened. The bridge has been built. The, 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 the challenges have been traversed. Jesus has paid it all. He's the one that, you could argue, is reconciliation in every way. And so we can say, okay, if that's true, it is. Because that's true, Jesus is reconciliation for us and reconciles us to God. We can say, well, I get that level of reconciliation, but what if I'm struggling to love me? Because we can say, and and so some of you said you've never struggled to love God. And so I'm going to let you have that one, even though I'm not sure it's true. I'm going to let you have it, okay? Okay. And so even if you've never struggled to love God, maybe you've struggled to love you. And you might be saying, well, why are you bringing that up? Because it says that you are to love God and love your neighbor. But I don't know if you caught that tag end that Jesus threw in, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know about you, but if you don't love you, that neighborly love going to be bad. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can't love your neighbor if you don't love the you that you are supposed to be loving your neighbor as yourself as. That was a weird phrase sentence, but it made sense. Trust me, okay? What I'm telling you is that if you're struggling to love you, you're going to be of no use to your neighbor. And you might be saying, yeah, well... You know, God teaches us that we are born sinful and unclean and we need redemption. And so we shouldn't love ourselves. We should hate the ways of the world and we should love him. Right? I know that already, but he reconciled himself to you. So now that you know that, he also says that you are to love your neighbor as yourself, meaning that he wants you to love you, the fearfully and wonderfully made you. Remember when AJ said that last night? Like God wants you to love you. And so that means that when you're struggling to love yourself, that there's a break that there needs reconciliation there. And if you're struggling to love yourself, to me, you're asking a different question. You're asking the question of who am I and who has God actually made me to be? How many of you think you know yourselves really well? Raise your hand. How many of you think you don't know yourselves really well? Raise your hand. Ooh, split room, cool. I don't have like a Twitter poll or anything, so that's the way we're going to do that. But um, I think that's honest. I think it's unique. And what I mean by that is I think it's honest because I think sometimes we think we know ourselves really well and we don't. And sometimes we don't think we know ourselves well at all and we do. And I think it's unique because I can tell you you know yourself well or you don't know yourself well. And the truth is only you really know. And so when I say that it's a difficulty to love yourself or that that might be a struggle for you, what I mean is that I think it happens as a struggle for everyone in some form or fashion, in some way or another. 
In my life, actually last night, I had a unique moment. As AJ was up there speaking, it was like hitting me in the face with truth about myself, right? It was actually really funny. We happened to be with the Mosaic event, and we were on the floor seats, and AJ said, oh, man, and he started talking about his struggles with weight and body image and all that, and I literally said, I ain't ready for this, like out loud. It was one of those thoughts that I had in my head, and like it just came out. You ever had that happen before? Where like you think something, but your mouth starts moving, and then you're like, la, 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 but you can't get it because it already came out. So I had that happen, and it was funny because everybody around me was like, like they, you know. But I understand what AJ was saying uh, on the stage there because I have a similar situation, similar story, similar thing going on in my own mind. I used to be about 300 pounds, okay, uh, when I was 18, and I lost a lot of weight, and that's all great, yeah, whatever. But the, the image in your mind, how you think of yourself, how you struggle with that, that exists, that dwells. Satan works through those doubts and those struggles. And how you understand loving who God's made you to be is constantly a struggle. And it doesn't just have to be with things like weight or body image. It can be with the way you talk, it can be with the way you speak, it can be with the way you look, it can be with anything, really. I mean, I can tell you right now, sometimes I stand on stage and even as I'm speaking and sharing God's word and hoping that God is doing his good work through the word, I have doubts. Sometimes I'm looking at faces and I'm saying, man, they look so engaged. And then I think, or is that boredom? Right? Or are they like, this guy thinks he's cool. He's such a dork. Right? I don't know what you're actually thinking. And if I did, would it help? It wouldn't if you're thinking bad things. Right? Um, you know, so, so the truth is when we think about that stuff, you can have doubts anywhere in your life and it can cause you to struggle to love the way that God made you and the person that God has made you to be. And you know what? I'm going to say something that some people might be like, whoa, that was harsh. But I think if we only focus on loving ourselves and who God has made us to be and, 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 and start using that language that the world likes to use of saying things like, just love who you are, Right? Here are all the sunshine and rainbows of life. Except they don't tell you it comes with a lot of rain. Rainbows and you know, rainbows only show up after rain and sunshine. If there's a lot of sunshine, you ain't seen no rainbow. Right? How many of you have seen a rainbow with just the sun? Man, this guy over here. Stop, stop. What I'm saying to you is that it's a rainbow, not a sunbow. Okay? That there's gonna be rain. That there's going to be challenges. There's going to be struggles. And on top of that, it means that those struggles in your life, those struggles with how you view yourself, the struggles with the ways that you recognize in yourself, doesn't mean that they're just going to be better because you believe something different about them. But the truth is, if the focus that you have is only on who you are, what ends up happening is you lose focus on whose you are. Scripture says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. 
from Philippians there, it's not necessarily about who you are. Because when you look at yourself apart from God, you are part of the crooked and twisted generation. And I don't just mean because you're young people and y'all are worse than ever. No, that's not what I mean. What I mean is the crooked and twisted generation is humanity apart from God, is our existence apart from God. That is what we are. So when you look in the mirror and you're only seeing you apart from God and you're struggling to love yourself apart from God, yes, of course you're not going to like what you see because you're only seeing the twisted and the crooked. You're only seeing what Satan is trying to convince you is true about yourself, that you are ugly or gross or fat or whatever it is that you comes up in your mind or that you're dumb or that you're, I mean, we could go on and on and on about the things that we have wrong in our minds about ourselves, but of course you believe that if you're looking apart from God. But see, what God does to reconcile himself to you in Christ is he says, here's who you are, children of God, and my favorite part of that verse comes right after, without blemish. Without blemish. You know what that means? That means that there is nothing wrong with you in Christ. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with you. If there's nothing wrong with you, you don't need Jesus. But the beauty of who Christ brings us together to be is that we recognize, yeah, there is something wrong. Yeah, it is a difficult challenge to love myself. Yeah, sometimes I don't know what it is to love what I see in the mirror apart from God. Because I can't. Because it's twisted and it's crooked. But in Christ Jesus, the reconciler, the reconciliation himself... I'm without blemish. A child of God who's been washed over by baptismal water, who's been covered in the robe of righteousness to be the light of the world, clinging to the word of life that promises that I am without blemish and allows me to know that even when I doubt, even when I struggle, even when I don't love what I see in the mirror, that Jesus reconciles that image for me. That he says what he sees in the mirror is his image. The image in which we were fearfully and wonderfully made. The image of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so God promises reconciliation to him in Christ. God promises reconciliation to self in Christ. That's right. This talk is so real that it doesn't change all that much. Because when you ask that last question, what if you have conflict then with your neighbor, right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself, so you have to then, after understanding that, love your neighbor. And what if you have a conflict with your neighbor? Now, when I say your neighbor, I'm just assuming you know what I mean. It does not mean the person only that lives next door to you. That's your neighbor, it's true. It just means any other person that's not you. They are your neighbor as far as God is concerned. And what if you have conflict with your neighbor? And that one's really tough. Because you see, we can understand... 
being reconciled to God in Christ Jesus, because we can witness the reconciliation through things like word and baptism and the Eucharist, right? The sacraments. Word and sacrament helps us to be living witnesses that God is reconciled and God reconciles himself to us and allows us to be reconciled in him. We can understand and perceive and even, and, and even believe that we are reconciled to the image of ourselves because of the promises that God brings to us, right? We know that God says that he is the reconciliation and he covers us over and he makes us in his image and he says we're fearfully and wonderfully made and he loves us in the ways that he makes us and he takes us from being twisted and crooked to without blemish. We can understand those things. But it's kind of tough to understand reconciliation to your neighbor because sometimes your neighbor doesn't give a rip whether or not you want to be reconciled to them. It's true. You might say, you know what? I messed up. My bad. I messed up. I'm sorry. And your neighbor might be like, I don't care if you're sorry. You're a jerk. Gonna get more people in when I say crazy stuff. No, uh, um, you know, they, they get upset at you. They don't like the way you talk to them. They don't like something about you. And so they don't care how sorry you are, how much you ask for forgiveness, how reconciled you want to be to them. They are rejecting it. And I can sit up here and tell you, and yet Jesus is the one who brings that reconciliation. And that is totally true. But still, you might say, well, how come I don't see it? My neighbor doesn't like me. My neighbor thinks I'm terrible. My neighbor doesn't actually believe that I desire to be reconciled to them. That happens all the time, really. I think it happens in our lives. How many of you have had somebody that was your friend that isn't your friend anymore? There you go. It happened for you. And you might say, well, that was really my fault. I didn't want them as my friend anymore. Well, you're the friend who doesn't want to be forgiving, okay? That's what I'm telling you. What it means is that, yeah, sometimes we, when we're seeking reconciliation, or sometimes we don't even want the reconciliation, even though that's who God calls us to be. And yet, as we see, Jesus is the one who reconciles us to God in God himself in the flesh. Jesus is the one who reconciles who we are. But thinking how Jesus reconciles us to our neighbor is a different challenge. Because what does it mean to experience the reconciliation of our real present God in everyday life? What does it mean to experience the reconciliation of our real present God with our neighbor? Well, the first thing is this. You got to be real. And what I mean by that is this. You have to be real about what those things are between you and your neighbor. And when I say be real, what I really mean is be real about where you're wrong. In my years of ministry, eight so far, coming up on nine, and in my 34 years of life, thank you very much, I made it past 33, so I outlived Jesus. Psych, because Jesus is alive. What's wrong with y'all? I don't know what y'all are saying. Anyway, in all my years of life, what I've realized, y'all are still on the Jesus thing. It was a joke, everybody. Calm down. What I've realized 
is that anytime I've had some sort of beef, y'all know what beef is when I say beef, right? Good. I'm still hip. Um, when I have some sort of beef with my neighbor, conflict, that's what I mean. For those of you who didn't understand what I said, sorry. I have to do it. I have to explain. Um, what I've realized is that I oftentimes am part of the problem. Actually, every time, in some way, I'm part of the problem. It might be that I just don't like what it is that they've done. It might be that I'm actually doing something that's hurting them without knowing it. It might be that I'm doing everything right, but I'm stubborn in my rightness. I'm not trying to even have any kind of compassion on their wrongness. But in some form or fashion, I am sinning against my neighbor and causing for not only a reconciliation to be necessary, but for a reconciliation to be difficult. And so if you really want to seek reconciliation with your neighbor, you have to be real. You have to be real about what the problems are. You have to be real about what the struggles are. You have to be real about the situation and the challenge and whatever it is that is between you and your neighbor. You know, part of the reason that I'm here at this gathering is not to just give this talk about being real, but it's also to give this talk, uh, it's also to be a part of something called the Mosaic Initiative. And what that is, is that here at our gathering, we're trying to communicate that the body of Christ is a mosaic. A mosaic means that it is people, well, I'm, I'm, excuse, man, I gave you too much. A mosaic as it is, apart from what it is in the body of Christ, means that it is all these little pieces that come together to make this beautiful thing or image or whatever it is. Well, when the mosaic is the body of Christ, it's all these people differently coming together. So when you look at them very close, they look different. But when you step back, you see Jesus, right? And we have to be real about the fact that in our church body right now, we have 97% of us, or more than 97% technically, who only look like one way. And we have to be talking about it. And we have to be real about it. And it doesn't mean that we say, and I don't like those people. No, that is not what I'm saying. Don't get it twisted. What I'm saying to you, and don't get it crooked either. See what I did there? Twisted and crooked. Anyway, what I'm saying to you is that we have to have conversations where we see the need for reconciliation, where we see something must be a barrier between us in some way or fashion with our neighbors that is causing us to not be able to be reconciled. And if we're not being real about it and willing to talk about it, nothing's going to happen. And it doesn't just mean a conversation about race in our church body. It could be something as simple as, I don't like what you said to me because it was hurtful. And you might have just said, well, I was just telling you the truth, but it hurt my feelings. And I didn't appreciate that. But if you're not willing to tell somebody that they were hurt by you, if you're too proud or too boastful or like, I'm not going to let them know they hurt me, guess what? It's not going to be healed because we're not being real. So the first thing we need to do if we want to be reconciled to our neighbor is be real. The next thing is that we have to live present. And what I mean by living present is you can't keep going back to the stuff that caused this in the first place. In other words, you can't keep being salty about the fact that this person wronged you. Okay? If you constantly are like, you know what? I want to forgive you, but remember that time when... Of course you're always going to be mad at them. 
Because there's no reconciliation from before. And so when something else happens or they mess up again or they hurt you in a different way, you haven't even reconciled the last thing. So now, instead of saying like, oh, I don't want to be reconciled to them, the truth is you never were. To be reconciled to your neighbor means that you live present, which means you look at the past the way God looks at our past, with forgiveness, with salvation, with his promise, with it being covered over in the robe of Christ's righteousness. By the way, little pause button from this talk. Here's a PSA. I'm not saying this is easy, but this is real talk. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm telling you, this is who we're called to be, and this is what we're called to do. And you're right. It's not easy because we're sinners in need of redemption, so our sinful hearts want to hold on to all the bad and the evil and the rough stuff. But God calls us to something more. Now back to your regular scheduled programming. Anyway, so we want to be real. We want to live in the present. And most valuably, most importantly, we must trust God. In order to be reconciled to your neighbor, you have to believe that God can reconcile that relationship. You have to believe that God can reconcile whatever it is is between you. You have to believe that God can do what for you may seem unimaginable or unbelievable or impossible. Because there's that verse in the Bible. I don't know if you've heard it. Have you ever heard it? It's like, with God all... Let's try again. With God all... Right, with God, all things are possible. And you know, I love the image that God uses when he talks about that. You know the image? Anybody know the image when God talks about with God, all things are possible? Anybody know the image? It's not a rainbow, but that's a good guess. The, the image, right, is the camel and the eye of the needle. God says, it is more difficult for a rich man to enter heaven than for a camel to get through the eye of a needle. And recently when I preached on that, my mind was blown because I was like, that's so crazy. I can't even get a freaking thread through the eye of a needle. How am I going to get a camel through it, right? Like that's, that's, it's impossible. And he follows it up by saying, for man it is impossible, what with God all things are possible. In other words... No matter how meaty the beef with your neighbor, that means no matter how difficult the conflict, with your neighbor, God can bring reconciliation to it. God can heal the divide. God can cover it over with his righteousness. God can build the bridge. Heck, God is the bridge. The one who will carry you over from that broken relationship or brokenness in between you and your neighbor and bring you to his righteousness. From going from that wrongness to that which is right in him. And we are called to believe that. We are called to trust that promise. We are called to know that God is exactly who he says he is and to live that out as we must. Because you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, 
Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, if we truly trust that God is who he is, then we know we are reconciled to him. We know that he brings reconciliation into ourselves that we may love what we see in him. And we know that even when it seems impossible to be reconciled to our neighbor with him, all things are possible, even reconciliation to our neighbor. And when we live that out, this is who we become, the light of the world. That when people see us and see our good works, they give glory to our Heavenly Father. Now, question of trivia before we go. Anybody know where this is said in your life? Everybody's like, what does that question even mean? That was crazy. I don't even know what he just said. Let me ask it again. When you look at this Bible verse, do you know in your lives when this was spoken about to you? Somebody said it nice and loud. Baptism. Very good. At your baptism, these words were spoken about you. Actually, when you get that little baptismal candle, I call it the baptismal birthday candle, right? You get that baptismal candle, this is the word that is spoken about that flame because it's lit on the eternal flame of Sunday school answer. Sunday school answer. It's lit on the eternal flame of Jesus, and it's shown that now in Christ, you have that light, and you are the light of the world, and you are the ones who bring his reconciliation to the world that desperately needs it. And it starts at your baptism, and it happens every day as you die to sin and rise in him, in those baptismal promises, so that you can be the ones who bring that light to a world that needs it. You see, the beauty of what God does in reconciliation is that as he reconciles himself to us in Christ Jesus, as he allows us to be reconciled to ourselves in him, and as he promises to bring reconciliation to our neighbor, he does it all as he works and moves through you. Don't believe the lie that sometimes we get caught up in in the church. And this is going to sound crazy that I said this, so don't tell anyone. I'm just kidding. You can tell everybody. The lie that, well, God's just going to do it. It doesn't matter what I do. That's a lie. It matters what you do because God's working through you. His spirit dwells in you. He is moving that you would be the light of the world, and lights in the world his light, that people would see you and give him the glory. But that means that what you do and how you live and how you serve and how you love, it all matters, especially if we want to witness his reconciliation in the world. Because our God, he is a real present God. And we know that when we worship, we know that in his word, we know that in the sacraments, and we know that in you. Because you are here. You are real. 
you are present and he is God in you. And so my call to action, which we can have because this isn't a sermon or a worship service, my call to action is that as you go out these doors, be who he calls you to be. Be real. Live present. And trust God so that you can be the light of the world to which you were called at your baptism and the world may give glory to our Heavenly Father 